You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 108. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. Episode 108. I think, because somewhere along the lines, I started numbering these things wrong, and I realized this in Podbean the other day, my hosting service for my podcast, and I've got to go back like 30 episodes and start checking the numbers, but I'm pretty sure we're at 108. I can promise you this. I will have it figured out by episode 117, because 117 is my absolute favorite number, and I will not not know when that episode's coming. So there will be a celebration, a celebration, to beat all celebrations for episode 117. I just passed 50 months on Saturday, and my, my best bud, Matt Gumbel, uh, I call him Gumby a lot on the show, he hit two years that same day, and we just had the most amazing conversation. I love this man. He saw me uh, maintain sobriety about six months into my sober journey, when um, I went to see the um, Grateful Dead, um, they don't call themselves the Grateful Dead anymore, but they, to me, will always be the Grateful Dead, and uh, Dead and Co. is what they go by now. But anyways, John Mayer is a part of the band, so if you've ever heard of John Mayer, then you know that he's now the guitarist. And he saw me maintain sobriety with tons of drugs and alcohol around me, and he found that just so inspirational, and he'd been seeking out a way of flipping his life on its head. And so he stepped into the sobriety world uh, sometime after me, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm at 50 months and he just hit 24, but you know, he came, he came, he saw, and he is kicking ass. So I wanted to give him a shout out for two years because uh, he was really the first friend of mine who ever called me up and said, Hey man, you, you were my inspiration. And he even told me over the phone the other day, and I look, I'm the very first one who will, you know, well, who will rebuff certain praise and say, hey, man, it was all you, all you who did the work. And it is. It's all him who did the work. It's all him who focuses in on his meditation. It's all him who makes sure that he gets some physical activity every day. It's all him who maintains a really hard work ethic. You know, he sells sports memorabilia and does very well. And he left Northern California so he could get away from certain influences. And he moved to Southern Michigan where he gets to live on a lake. And he's really created a great life for himself. So he has done all of his work. But he will definitely say things like, you know, Jess, there'd be some times where I just want to throw in the towel. And I would think of you and be like, I don't want to disappoint Mogul. And while I wouldn't be disappointed, you know, I would be saddened if he ever went back. I would be supportive of getting him back on the right track, right? I really do believe everyone on this planet would benefit from just stopping intoxicants. I, I honestly do. I I loved them for 22 years, and they didn't do much good for me. They lied to me and told me my life was great. Intoxicants lied to me and convinced me that I was on the right track and everything was going great, but it was all lies. <laughs> it was all lies. And so I would certainly, you know, grab him by the hand and say, hey, man, you want to you try this again? I'm here for you. I'd go so far as to say that I would drive my happy ass to his lake house and live with him and make sure that I could do whatever I could do. Good. Just, just provide him the support he needed. But the man's doing an amazing job. And I, I, you know, you know, life being what it is, of course, you never can just plant your flag and I'll never will I ever, but certainly it would take a lot. This man is, is well on his path and, and I can't wait 
to uh, one day own an amazing farm with him where we take in um, old, old animals that no one wants anymore and we give them the happiest life until their end. Uh, it's a great dream that we have and we're going to make it a reality. We want to call it the upstate on the farm because when I was a kid, I might be like, Mom, what happened to the, the pig or what happened to the dog? Oh, yeah, we sent it upstate to the farm. So we want to <laughs> own a place called Upstate to the Farm. And uh, just shout out to Gumby. You, you know, the, thank you for, for saying that. You know, you would picture me if you ever thought you were going to go back. And, and I was able to help get you through that because just knowing that I've been an inspiration to you and so many of you has just really meant the world to me. Um, as The more I go through the archives of the messages that I'm starting to find on Facebook from like two years ago, because it's just so many of them got buried and I just didn't get a chance to get to them. And so now, you know, pandemic being what it is, I really had a lot of opportunity. I mean, I've completely caught up on Instagram, right? I mean, you it took a while, but if you want to send out a message, it's much, much more effective to hit me up through Instagram than it is Facebook because I just don't do Facebook very much for the last four or five years. But I go on there to maintain the relationships that uh, people have offered me and that I have started and we have cultivated. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. So for all of you out there, whatever your inspiration for your sobriety and recovery journey is, I honor you. And uh, whether I've played a part in that, you know, a great deal or just a smidge bit, um, it is, doesn't, to me, I'm just, it doesn't matter how much, I don't even want the credit because, again, you have done all the work. And speaking of doing all the work, let's talk about today's episode because very interesting how my brain seems to just come up with topics. And I really do believe that once you set out to find topics in random places and to learn from every little thing, how it just happens all the time and how little toss-off sentences in books that I audible end up being topics for an entire episode. And I'm listening to Jack Canfield's Success Principles right now, and it really is just an, an amazing book. And fun to Audible, especially because I'm giving my 10, it was 10,000 steps a day, now it's 11,500 steps a day. And it's just amazing, like the things he'll throw out, and I'll just grab a hold of certain things that maybe weren't even meant to be that impactful, but yet are. Just like some of the times I say things, I don't realize how impactful they are till you message me. I didn't realize how impactful it was going to be for Gumby to see me maintain sobriety at a Dead & Co. show. I just wanted to be there with my friends, and I didn't realize it could literally lead him to completely changing his life for the better. I don't always realize what it is that I say that's going to impact, and some of the things I say that I think will be huge impacts are tiny, and some things I think that will be tiny impacts are huge. So this Jack Canfield... Uh, in his success principle book, and I tried to go back and even find the part where he mentioned this. I, I still haven't been able to locate it, but I learned enough when I heard it the first time to think, yep, totally got to be an episode. So we're going to talk about the adult ego and the kid ego. And this is eventually going to diverge into a much bigger topic. But for now, I really want to talk about adult ego versus kid ego. And the way that Canfield referenced this is that you have an adult ego who knows that things need to get done. Right, It's run by that rational, critical thinking mind. And then you have the kid ego, very much run by the emotional mind, where it's, it's very impulse-driven. There's an impulsivity to the kid ego. One of the reasons why I call my course Wise Mind Empowerment is because when you converge the rational, critical thinking mind with the emotional mind, you get a, a wise mind. It's where it meets in the middle. 
You don't want to completely shut off your emotions, but you also don't want to be completely run by them any more than you always want to be run by your rational, critical thinking mind, right? Any more than you want to not ever be run by your rational thinking mind. You want to have both of them at play. So when Canfield mentioned that the kid ego is run by the emotions and the adult ego is run by the thinking mind, I thought, oh my goodness, that's what he's referencing wise mind, whether that's what he meant to reference or not. Basically, a wise mind is the kid ego and the adult ego coming together and converging into a wise ego. And we already know ego is nothing to let yourself be run by the nose with because ego will put you into some situations and will make you do things in life. I often think that I had my ego running the show my whole 22 years of addiction. And my ego put me in some definite situations that where my life was in danger, where even if it wasn't like imminent danger, like I had just walked into like a gunfight, it was in danger because I was drinking myself slowly to death. My ego was not a friend. At some point I was like, okay, ego, you've been in control long enough. Sit your ass down. Give me the keys. In fact, get in, get in the backseat and, and, and put this gag in your mouth. You don't, you don't get any more say. So when we think about where this episode's going to go, I really want you to start asking yourself, how often are you being run by your rational, critical mind? And how, many, how often are you being run by your emotional mind? And when Canfield referenced this in the book, he was talking more about like work ethic and what it was that you were accomplishing in your life. Why I love this side of this conversation is because I've often seen on Instagram a lot of people posting about dry drunk. Like, are you a dry drunk? Are you really working the steps? Are you really working the truths? Do you have a program? What are you doing? Like people basically saying like, hey, if you're not doing it this way, then you're not really doing it the right way. And if, you're, and if your way is not like mine, then your way is wrong, and therefore you're going to relapse. And I, you know, let's let's make sure that we talk about this in in a, in a way that can be the most beneficial. That you telling anyone whether their program is good or bad for them when you don't really know what it is that that their mind needs and desires in order to benefit from sobriety and recovery, just makes you a joke. Yelling at somebody's face that their method of, of, of growing into their sobriety and their way of making sure that they stay in long-term recovery is just a dick move, first and foremost. So when I see some of these people making these posts about whether they're a dry drunk, whether they're really working their version of a program, or whether they're working the steps, you know, I always go back to that stat I read about how AA has an 80% recidivism rate, meaning that four out of five will relapse. So when somebody starts screaming that you didn't do AA, you're going to relapse, I'm just like, well, so you're saying if I don't do AA, I'm going to relapse. And the stats I've read say that 80% of people who do AA relapse. So you're basically telling me that the only way I can get sober and step into addiction recovery is to become a member of a of a organization where I'm damn near four out of five guaranteed to relapse. Then you tell me if I don't do it, I'm definitely going to relapse. I'm like, I don't know if I like those odds. <laughs> you say I don't do AA, it's a hundred percent guarantee. And then I've read stats that say if I do AA, it's an eighty percent guarantee. I don't know about that. Uh, if you were a baseball player with those with those kind of statistics, you'd be sent back to the minors, and you would definitely be cut from a football team if 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 four out of five times you touched the football, you fumbled it. Now, by no means am I getting down on AA here. Right, we've talked about this. I accept all programs and their efficacy and their ability because it's all based on the individual who puts their time and effort into them. 
and what it is they're getting out of them. But it's really about the effort you put in. The effort you put in equals the effort that you'll get out. So if you step into it, and I've seen some people embrace any number of programs and come out of it just with flying colors because that's what they want to put into it. I've seen other people really latch onto this show because they choose to do it their way. And they realize that that's what I talk about. See, this isn't self-help, what I do. This is transformational from the ground up. We go inside your mind and we figure out why you made the decisions you made. We talk about how, as a kid, you were being programmed by the adults around you. Unbeknownst to them, right? They may have not on purposefully put limiting beliefs into your head. But certainly the way that they talked, the way they treated one another, the way they treated themselves, it, it rubbed off on you. And from zero to seven, you were just being imprinted and implanted upon. From, from seven to 14, you were matching and mirroring. You wanted to fit into the tribe. You didn't want to be kicked out of the tribe. I just did a whole podcast for College Success Habits right before this one, where I talked about how you are the one who decides how you are going to behave on this planet. You're in control of your mind, therefore you're in control of your results. But from zero to seven, while everyone's you know imprinting and implanting upon you, and then from seven to 14, you just want to be included. You just want to be part of a tribe. So you do whatever it takes to make sure that you're not the outcast, which for many of us led us down a path of addiction. This people-pleasing, this saying yes to everybody so we never say no, so we're always included. And if there wasn't intoxicants around you in high school and middle school, as soon as you got to college, they sure as hell were. Or as soon as you graduated high school and went into a trade or got a job, people were drinking. And next thing you know, you wanted to be included, so you started drinking. And before you know it, what you used to uh, help you join the crowd and be cool in front of other people ended up being what isolated you and what caused you to drink at home alone. So we had all of this happening by the time we're 14. And is it any wonder that once we start to actually form our own critical thinking skills, that they're so skewed by other people's behaviors, by other people's opinions and beliefs that have been put upon us? I have someone very close to me who holds on to a tremendous amount of limiting beliefs about them. And then I hear them talk about other people in their lives, and they talk about them instilling, projecting even, their own limitations, their own limiting beliefs about what they can accomplish. They project them out onto other people, saying, well, that's ridiculous. They'll never accomplish that. Why do they even think that? They're going to waste all their time doing that, and then they're just going to change their mind. Well, I mean, whether they do or don't change their mind, it's not a waste because they've learned something new about themselves. At the very least, they've learned what they don't want to do. But not taking chances, not taking risks, not stepping into yourself, is, that's, that's utterly ridiculous. That's definitely not a way I want to live my life. So if that's the way you want to live your life, that's fine. Getting down on and talking shit about other people who don't want to live their life in this little safety bubble, who don't want to be laying on their deathbed at 80 or 90 years old, regretting not taking a chance in their 20s or 30s or 40s. That's, that's, there's a lot of people who don't want to do that. That's what you want to do. Maybe you won't be laying in bed at 80 with a ton of regrets. And maybe you will. Only you will know that and it will be at least 40 or 50 years from now for this particular person. I say all that because when we start to think about this kid ego and adult ego, this emotional mind and this thinking mind, we as adults realize that if we're going to achieve things in our lives, we have to get certain things done. 
And why I went off on that whole little diatribe about the dry drunk and the people's program is because what I often hear from people whenever they want to start talking smack about somebody else's program, it's like, well, are you, are you working your steps? Are you working your truths? Are you doing all of this stuff? And some people are and some people aren't. And that's not the point I'm getting to. A lot of people, what they end up doing is they just end up actually filling their life full of things that they actually enjoy. I fill my life with things I enjoy. I teach a live class on Tuesday nights. I spend a lot of time getting people signed up for my online class. My tribe isn't all that huge as far as actual members who've decided to invest in themselves through me. But it's growing. I'm putting in a lot of effort. I teach a class on Tuesday nights and I shoot back-to-back podcasts and get those up so they're out Wednesday morning. Right? I fill my life with lots of things I love doing. I wrote a book last year. I plan on writing another book at the, by the end of this year for next year. Like there, I do this. And I don't do this to keep my, uh, let's say, to keep my brain busy so I don't think about alcohol. I do this because of that old saying my mom used to tell me when I was a kid, idle hands are the devil's tool. Humans were built to do things. It is in our nature to create. It is in our nature to want to be a part of the building of something. It wasn't until really technology started to increase and become so abundant after World War II that all of a sudden we lived in a country where we had machines and other people who would start to do things for us. Pre-World War II, hell, even pre uh, even pre-stock market crash of 29 that sent us into the Great Depression. We were just getting into the Industrial Revolution in the late 1800s after the Civil War. Train tracks were just finally getting p- put down so that we could go from one side of the country to the next. That didn't even happen until after the Civil War, when we could go from coast to coast on trains. I think the Civil War ended in like the 18, mid to late 1860s. So I could be wrong about that. I'm not a history book. Um, but well, I'm, the whole point of me saying this stuff is that, right, we had 20, 30 years of the Industrial Revolution leading up to the 1900s, and then, you know, 20 years or so of that before things started going sideways, 1929, Great Recession, boom, you know, we had nine more years, and we were looking at, you know, us joining World War II, come out of that, and all of a sudden, this war machine we built was a, was got turned to our own country, and we just started building other machines that could just help us have some time. All of a sudden, cars became more popular and people had money and the middle class emerged. And all of a sudden, there was wealth and there was prosperity. So next thing you know, the television becomes extremely popular. And now instead of coming home from our jobs and actually doing things outside the house or still creating things with our hands, we started just sitting there staring at a screen. And this started the screen revolution. And so we've been looking at since the 1950s where all of a sudden we were just starting to stare at screens. We became less productive away from our jobs and away from school and just became more zombie-ish towards this screen of lights and color. So we've had about 70 years of that. And I think it gets lost on some people that we used to be very hardworking species who didn't just stare at screens all the time. So when I hear someone say, oh, they're keeping themselves busy so they don't think about alcohol or drugs, what I see is somebody filling their life full of things that mean something to them, full of things that actually bring them joy. I don't operate well just sitting around staring at a TV all day. There will be certain TV programs that I really get into 
and very rarely will I ever binge a show during a day because it just at some point it's almost like if I sat there and ate four pounds of chocolate, I do enjoy chocolate. I do enjoy Oreos, but if I ate an entire bag of Oreos, you know, after the sixth or seventh one, I'm just going through the motions. The sweet sensors on my tongue are just so used to the Oreo by that point, it's not even really enjoying it like it did that first one. I want to put the Oreos away, come back to them in a day or two, taste them again. Oh my goodness, it's like it's the first time. To me, that's the same way TV shows are. Since The Handmaid's Tale, which which I think... Uh, my girl and I binged in midsummer while well, during the pandemic. That's the last show where I've watched more than two or three episodes in a day. Might do two, rarely will I do three. But most of the time, it's just one, and then that's it. Let's get up, let's go to bed, or let's go walk some steps, or let's go do something in the office. And so I go on another diatribe. But the point is, is that just because you're filling your life with things doesn't mean that you're a dry drunk that you're not working your own version of a program. Whatever your program is, it's your program. Is it leading you to your best, highest self? Are you going through and rummaging through your skeletons in the closet, through your baggage, figuring out the traumas and the sufferings that happened to you at a young age and healing those so that you can move forward as a more developed, both emotionally and rationally thinking mind? Are you combining the kid and the adult ego into this wise mind? When I started to do research on a drunk, on a, on a dry drunk, and I, and I came across, it's the presence of actions and attitudes that characterize the alcoholic prior to recovery. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, you know, I was a bit of a workaholic in whenever I was a drunk. And so then I kept drinking. Working on one's inner life is the key to overcoming the dry drunk mentality. I absolutely work on my inner life. I don't need to go to do 12 steps or go to the four truths and do all that to be working on my inner life. That's what neuro-linguistic programming does for me. I am, I, there's not a day that goes by that I don't dive inward and dig and, and rummage through some drawers and pull out the things that are no longer serving me, learn what I can learn from it and then let it, then release it into the wind and let it be a part of the universal energy again. So then I started looking for deeper into dry drunk and signs and symptoms, resentment towards friends and family, anger and negativity surrounding recovery, depression, anxiety, and fear of relapse, jealousy of friends who are not struggling with addiction, romanticizing their drinking days, being self-obsessed, replacing addiction with a new vice, i.e. sex, food, and internet use. And I thought, okay, well, then none of that sounds like me. Right, and I'm very, I'm very self-aware, so I'm being very mindful. I'm like, okay, well, perhaps a new advice. What does it mean by internet use? I mean, I like to learn, I like to read, I shoot two podcasts a week, I, I, I hold two different classes, constantly on the phone with people and clients and other coaches, and I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm incorporating and I'm helping. I was like, could that be advice? I'm like, well, addiction is something that begins to take away from your life, right? It begins to hurt you begins to be something that no longer uh, feeds your best version of yourself. I mean, if we Google what is an addiction, and this is what pops up, an addiction is an urge to do something that is hard to control or stop. If you use cigarettes, alcohol, or drugs, then uh, you could become addicted to them. doesn't say anything about work, but work, my dad was a work, I call him workaholic. 
but right, but I felt like he would stay at work for 18 hours a day and then come home and sit down in front of the TV, eat his sandwiches and ignore the family. I feel like I'm pretty good about stepping away, being a part of my girlfriend's life, you know, taking care of my friends, calling my friends, taking care of my body away from the office. I'm like, so not an addiction, you know, not an obsession. Oh, I'm obsessed with work. I hear people say, no, I mean, really? I mean, I don't know if I like the connotation that obsessed gives, but it's all about your own internal representation of these things. But the adult ego knows that in order to achieve things in life worth achieving, you have to put in effort. You have to put in the time, right? That four-hour work week that became popular, I mean, it's certainly possible, but when you first start up a business or you first start a new endeavor, right, you I want to become great at the guitar. Four hours a week, probably not going to get you there. Certainly going to get you there more than no hours a week, but it, it comes to a point where time and effort, that, that's a non-renewable resource, time, that's what it takes to accomplish things. And so when Jack Canfield started talking about the adult ego, he referenced it as being that you have this adult ego run by rational thought that wants to get things done, that wants to achieve a higher version of itself. And then you have the kid ego that wants to play, that has no impulse control, that instant gratification. And the kid ego will be quieted down if you promise that you will pay attention to it after you're done with your work. And now we've come full circle. And as we will wrap this up, I say we'll wrap it up and then I'll go on for another 15 minutes. But I really love this topic and I've been thinking about it for about four or five days now since I heard that chapter. The kid ego needs its attention, right? You can only eat so much broccoli and cauliflower before the kid ego is finally like, dude, seriously, give me an Oreo. Right, you, it's, this is what ends up happening, is that that this adult ego of ourselves says no. I, if I keep, keep I want to keep things away from the kid ego. No chocolate, no only broccoli, only carrots, no fun. Work, 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 work. Always be focused on my work. Right, the kid ego eventually just gets fed up. Right, eventually this is where you see people crash off diets. You see people, um, you know, relapse back to their old behaviors. Because they have been so strict with themselves, right? And again, I don't want to see anyone relapse back to alcohol and drugs. So then you have to start figuring out a way that, and that's the kid ego wanting the alcohol and drugs to come back because that's like, that was the kid's playground, right? So you can't dip your toe in and out of sobriety, right? That's not a, any way to, to step into addiction recovery. You can't, you can't just, you know, and I don't like the word can't because it, it stops a conversation. Right, that's 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 where we start looking at negation words versus affirmation words. But let's face it: if you think you're one of those people who can stay sober for two or three weeks and then dip their toe back into the drinking world for two or three days, either you don't have a problem, which means you're not even listening to this show, or you're fooling yourself. Because how many of us really think that we could go back to the old way and just dip our toe in? No. I would spend all my money filling up a baby pool full of Johnny Walker Black, and I would swim around in it. So I don't even want to try to manage that monster. And the kid ego has released any gratification that using could possibly bring me and has decided that there are other ways more fun to actually bring him the happiness that he seeks. My kid ego is very much inside of me. It just gets super excited now to uh, go jog in the park or go look at a beautiful sunset or stare at trees and look at birds. I know it's ridiculous, but I've become slightly obsessed with the birds around my apartment complex lately because I swear there must be a hundred of them. They're everywhere. 
we moved the bird feeder and I got extremely upset because the 20 birds that were all constantly coming to it haven't realized we put it into the, onto the front porch. And they haven't gone up there yet. So now I'm trying to figure out ways to get them to figure out that I moved the bird feeder to the other porch in front of the house. Right? Like, I know, it might sound nuts, but my kid ego is totally into watching birds. And whenever Six Flags opens up, my kid ego is going to go do that. And when we go bowl or we go roller skate or we go to Vegas and we walk the strip at night or we go and look at all the shiny lights, I don't have to stop and drop $300 at a roulette table and drink my weight in vodka anymore to enjoy that. My kid ego has has said, oh, okay, so we're not going to do that anymore. That's okay because there's 20,000 other things I enjoy doing too. The beginning stages was scary. It was very scary for the kid ego. I hadn't bowled or roller skated or gone to an amusement park or gone to a zoo or gone and done much of anything without alcohol or drugs in my body in over 20 years. It took some getting used to. Going to my first concert sober was difficult. Going to Dead & Co. and not using was difficult. Right? Going to an amusement park and not on a bunch of acid with a bunch of vodka duct taped to my legs so I could make it through security. Yeah, Doing these things was difficult. It was challenging. I've since changed my mentality around that and realized that I only thought it was difficult and challenging because I told myself it was difficult and challenging. By the end of the experience in all of these examples and many more that I don't have even the brain capacity to bring up right now because I'm trying not to stall the show out and have it last even longer, there was all these experiences that I have just slid right into loving doing because I am sober, because I am present, and I am mindful. The kid ego wants that instant gratification. And you have to realize that when you step into sobriety and recovery, what you're asking the kid ego to do is start seeking out other ways to be placated, to find enjoyment. The adult ego knows that playing around with alcohol and drugs our whole life is no way to really become this self-actualized, empowered self. I honestly do think that this world would be a better place if everybody just stopped doing drugs and alcohol. I honestly do. I know that for some of y'all that might sound absurd because we can look back and in a way we could romanticize our drinking days. I did a lot of hilarious shit. I have a lot of hilarious memories with people. Would those memories be better if we weren't all drinking? I don't know. It certainly the night would have stopped a a lot earlier. Ain't nobody staying up till seven o'clock in the morning while you're just drinking soda water and and watching porn. (laughs) I don't even think we would have been watching porn in college as much as we were if there hadn't been a case of beer and an eight ball of blow in front of us. Right? But that's what we did then in order to realize now that that's no way we want to live anymore moving forward. For so many of us, we don't have to worry about a midlife crisis because we had our midlife crisis in our 20s because we honestly thought we were going to be dead at 40. So 22 was a midlife crisis. Adult ego and kid ego have to get along in order for us to have a balanced life. Tell the kid ego that fun is the reward that comes after the work is done. It is not the standard by which you live by any longer. The kid ego does not get to run the show. 
We're not seven years old anymore. We can't throw a temper tantrum in the, in the grocery store because our adult ego won't buy us a candy bar. That shit doesn't fly anymore. That's a ridiculous way to act. You have things you want to get done. And there can be a reward or celebration for you afterward. But that's the key thing. It comes after. Get the task done. Get the work done. Get your life on the right track. It will make the reward or celebration so much more meaningful if you've earned it. And only you will know if you've truly earned it. I can't tell you. The examples I throw out cannot quite equate to what you believe the reward is when you have earned it. And if that's just walking into the kitchen and stretching and giving yourself one Oreo cookie because you just finished a really hard part of your assignment or your schoolwork or your work work, whatever that is, you determine when you have come to a completion point and you determine what that reward is that you have earned. We already know that it's not alcohol and drugs. We've already moved from that. Right? We're also releasing the addiction that we have around sex or porn or gambling or food or sugar. Right? But we also t- let's also be thinking about the other addictions that we need to let go of. The negative inner self-talk, the automatic negative thoughts, the limiting beliefs, beating ourselves up more metaphorically than actual physically, beating other people up, again, more metaphorically rather than not literally, right? <laughs> Just more as a, as, a, as a more of an energetic, like talking smack about people behind their back. This is the kind of negative behaviors we want to release because according to dry drunk, resentment towards friends and family is a, is a part of being a dry drunk. Do you really want to start walking around talking negatively about people during your addiction recovery? That doesn't sound healthy. That sounds like a lot of it sounds a lot like what a kid ego would do, doesn't it? Doesn't a kid ego talk shit about people because it doesn't really know any better or it wants to look better or it wants to be more invited and included? The adult ego is run by this rash, rational critical thinking mind that knows that that kind of behavior is no longer who you are, who you want to be. And as I wrap this up, one of the things that really struck me whenever I go through, and I read a ton of different Instagram posts on sobriety and recovery, because that's pretty much what that entire account is. So I get to follow people's recovery and sobriety journeys. And a lot of people, whether they mean to be or not, live in this victim mentality where they aren't in control and they're waiting for a hero. And oftentimes, again, I have no judgment on that. Because I realized that for so many of them, having followed now for over, I've had that account for three years, I've watched so many people eventually step into that creator role, right? The more that they build themselves up, the more that they take responsibility for their choices, the more that they start to sign up to this idea that they're in control of their mind, therefore they're in control of their results, they can go from victim to creator mentality. And if I play a role in that, then awesome. If my energy out in the universe just helps spread the message so somebody else ends up telling them that they're in control of their mind, they're in control of their results, therefore take charge of yourself and and become that version of your highest self you're empowered and meaning to be, awesome, awesome. It does not have to come from my mouth. It doesn't even have to be my message. If it is just a message of empowerment from someone else, great. Then step into that. But when I read so many of these, 
it seems like there's a lot of derogatory comments being placed upon those who, who have filled their life up with things that mean something to them. And this dry drunk term being thrown at people. And I just, uh, I just want you to be really mindful when you start to nitpick at somebody else's way of being sober and, and being in addiction recovery. And be mindful that your way isn't necessarily their way. If that person fills their life with things that mean something to them, and in the process they gain knowledge about themselves, they step outside of their comfort zone, getting into their uncomfort zone where they get to grow and really become the version of themselves that has been locked inside for so long. That sounds like a pretty damn good program to me. Idle hands are the devil's tool, as my mom once said all the time. A lot, actually. (laughs) Having a life full of amazing things that you enjoy doesn't mean that you're a dry drunk. It means that you finally stepped into your sobriety and addiction recovery and realized there is so much out here in this world to enjoy and that you hadn't been enjoying it when you were intoxicated the way that you're enjoying it now that you're sober. Love that about yourself. Embrace that about yourself. Don't let other people's interpretation of what addiction recovery looks like be projected upon you. You reflect upon yourself. You ask yourself, am I working through my mess? Am I overcoming the anchors that have been holding me back? Am I rummaging through my closet, finding my traumas and my sufferings and healing my way through them? Whatever that looks like to you, whomever you have to bring in to help you accomplish that, then bring that person in. Find that person. Hit me up, DM me. Perhaps I'm that person. But judging other people's programs and telling them that they're a dry drunk, and then a month or two later, you're posting things about how you're almost relapsed or you got in a huge argument with someone, and if they don't see it your way, then they're wrong and you're going to kick them out of your life. That sounds a lot like dry drunk behavior to me because I, I watch the judgments. And then I watch these people two, three months later having the same issues that they were judging somebody else for having two or three months earlier. Glass houses, guys. Glass houses. Right? What is that old Bible saying? Pull the splinter out of your eye before you hit me with a log. I don't know. (laughs) Even as I was finishing that, I'm like, I don't think that's the way that quote goes. But I definitely remember there being something about a splinter in your eye, meaning you make sure you clean up your house before you start telling me how dirty mine is. I will commend anyone for stepping into their highest empowered self in whatever way that looks for them. And if you struggle and you start finding yourself at at this momentary lapse of reasoning, where you think that going back to figuring out a way to manage the addiction is your best option, then it's time to ask yourself what occurred previously that has you thinking that now. Okay, I'm definitely going to end on this one. I remember taking a relapse prevention class at Kaiser Permanente, and they they said more than once, so often, that I still remember it like it was yesterday. They said that relapse doesn't happen in the moment. It starts months, weeks before it actually occurs. Meaning that if you relapsed tonight, it didn't just happen because something went down tonight. Your path towards relapse started weeks and months ago when you started making certain decisions that went against your integrity. You started stepping out of gratitude. You started stepping out of humility. 
that's when the relapse starts. The actual act of using again may come weeks or months later, but you started down that path because of decisions you made a while ago. And being derogatory towards other people and how they're going about their life because it's different than what you think people should be doing. That's a form of relapse. Getting up all on your high horse and telling people that if they're not doing the steps that they're going to relapse. When studies and statistics and plenty of people I have talked to said that they did the steps and then they relapsed. So telling people that if they don't do it your way, they're going to relapse, even though your way has shown itself to still have relapse, is, is, is ridiculous. I don't even know if I can come up with a more ridiculous example of that. Fill your life with things that mean something to you. Be happy about what you're doing. If you find yourself unhappy with the way that you're going about things, then make that change. There's 107 other episodes that talk about this. You make the decisions that you make so that you can create the life that you want to create. It's all up to you. You're in control of your mind, therefore you're in control of your results. Keep yourself occupied, because that's what life is all about. Doing fun things and enjoying yourself. Experience things. Don't just sit around staring at screens. Eventually, people are going to realize that these screens are like the number one addiction on this planet, and then everyone's going to have, everyone's going to start listening to podcasts like from sobriety to recovery, all about getting rid of your screens, right? Like <laughs> it's only a matter of time before you know. And again, will big business and and tech let let any message like that get out? You know, they're going to be like the they're going to be like the tobacco companies were in the seventies and eighties. No studies show that staring at a screen for twelve hours a day does anything. But uh, Mr. Tech Guy, it seems that uh, more and more of our civilians are having to get glasses by the age of eight. Hey, it's not our fault that eyes are getting weaker and weaker. That's probably just because of global warming or the sun's closer. It's like they'll blame everything they can blame, but the actual screens, which are the things that we're staring at, you know, two feet from our face. When I was a kid, my mom would tell me, don't sit too close to the TV. It'll, it'll, you'll go blind. It'll damage your eyes. And now we literally all have devices that we keep two or three feet away from our eyes. It's ironic. I would say hilarious, but it's sad. So I don't know if it could be both sad and hilarious at the same time. So I'm now starting to trail off and just ramble. And so I'm going to call this one quits. Just hours after hours staring at your screen like a zombie isn't any isn't any less bad for you than than so many other things out there. Sure. Well staring at your phone for twelve hours a day destroy your life like alcohol and drugs? Meh, I don't know. How are you using your screen? <laughs> Just realize that your behavior is what creates your identity. So if you're walking around with a negativity and judgment as one of your primary resources that you fall back on whenever you begin to interact with people, don't be surprised if you find yourself struggling with the same things you're making fun of people for struggling with now a couple months from now. That's, that came out very convoluted, so I'll clear it up and I'll let you guys out of here on this. You're talking smack about something somebody's going through now, and you're laying down judgment, and you're not being supportive, genuinely supportive. The things that you're talking smack about them doing now will be things that you'll be suffering through down the line. Because it is not integrity, it is not gratitude, it is not humility 
that you are utilizing within yourself when you are judging others for how they're behaving just because it's not how you would behave. And I, and now I realize the irony in what I've just said because I could be potentially seen as someone judging others for how they're behaving just because that's not how I would behave. Well, when I see people utilizing these negative, undesirable energies and they put it out into the world and then they're suffering with this a few months later, I can't help but wonder, had they been more genuine, had they been more loving, had they been more accepting now, maybe later then, they wouldn't be dealing with what they are. I look in the mirror a hundred times a day and ask myself, is what I'm doing bringing me to my highest self? Am I stepping into a more empowered version of Jesse? It is this self-awareness and this personal reflection that guides me. I just want to make sure that you're asking yourself those same questions too. As always, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of my life because I woke up sober. Inclusivity over exclusivity. Shout out to sunshine. Peace.